Kelly is a third love, we used to say, there might be a world where Victoria's Secret doesn't exist. And people thought we were crazy. But like in essence, that's kind of played out over the past eight years, right? So this narrative that we created, which was like this lofty goal that seemed did seem crazy at the time, has in some ways come true. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Heidi Zach, to our show today. Heidi is the co-founder and CEO of Third Love, the fastest growing and most disruptive brand in the laundry industry. As a former Google and Aeropostale executive, Heidi took her tech and retail skills to build her dream of offering women a better option for bras and marketing to them in a way that didn't push impossible beauty standards. In June 2012, Heidi and her husband quit their jobs and invested $50,000 of their savings to officially launch the company in 2013. Heidi is on a mission to get every single woman in a great fitting, beautiful and comfortable bra that makes her feel empowered and confident. She believes inclusivity should be the norm, not the exception, and has led the charge in inventing half cups and offering women more than 80 sizes. Since inception, more than 16 million women of all shapes and sizes have used Third Love's innovative Fit Finder tool to find a bra that truly fits her body. The company has been valued at a reported $750 million and is generating over $100 million in revenue annually. Heidi has been recognized as Fortune's 40 Under 40, ENY's Entrepreneur of the Year, and Goldman Sachs's 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Of course, and I'm honored that you're with us today. I personally love the brand, by far one of the most comfortable bras that I've ever worn, and really the mission behind Third Love and the voice that you have of empowering women is incredible. So I can't wait to jump into your story and learn more about how you built the company. So let's start from the beginning. How was your childhood and life growing up? Did you ever envision yourself becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, I... No, I did not would be the answer. I wasn't necessarily the kid with the lemonade stand or, you know, selling product door to door. Um, You know, I grew up in a really small town uh, outside of Niagara Falls in New York. And um, yeah, just had a more traditional kind of background in college and after after college uh, did banking and consulting. And really for me, I got hit with the entrepreneurial bug when I moved out to San Francisco about 10 years ago. And so being around other founders who were creating things from scratch, who were trying to change the world, um, I just all of a sudden looked at them and said, maybe I could do this. And it really had never dawned on me um, that I could be a founder. So I think for those out there who are listening, um, I think entrepreneurship can come in a lot of different ways to people at different moments in their life. Absolutely. And, you know, I also had a very similar experience where I was curating these dinners in LA and I was just so impressed by, you know, all these women that 
look like me or in similar age ranges who were starting and founding companies. And I think when you surround yourself or just really see examples of people changing the world, it really you know allows you to think outside the box and see yourself as an entrepreneur. And going back to your story, you became an entrepreneur a bit later in your life. You know, Like you mentioned, you had a career in banking, consulting, and had a retail stint as well. How do you think those experiences have really impacted you as a founder and now CEO? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the benefits of starting a company a little bit later in in life, I guess, versus maybe being in my early 20s is just a set of experiences um, and just different types of companies where I've learned different methods and seen different things, both, both positive and brought those to third love and things that I inherently thought could be made better. And so I think those set of experiences not only gave me um, like a toolkit about how to approach different problems or think strategically, but also just to really um, have gratitude for um, what I was creating and also focus and feel confident in what I was doing. And I think that's the biggest thing is that if you're going to start something, you want to have that confidence um, that you can succeed because that's really, really important. Like your mental confidence is extremely important as a founder. Absolutely. Mental confidence is so key, you know, regardless of whatever kind of company you want to start or even a new creative project that you want to pursue. You know, even in my life, I think there were different milestones that really allowed me to slowly gain more confidence to, you know, take bigger risks and put myself out there, you know, create this podcast, start a new company. And I think it's something that, you know, personally for me, I'm constantly working on, but is so crucial for a lot of people. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So you're working at Google and you mentioned you were around so many different types of entrepreneurs living in San Francisco, but really how did the idea of Third Love come about for you? Yeah. So at the time I was at Google uh, working on out of the Mountain View campus, the main campus, and I needed a bra. And this is, you know, eight years ago now. And I did what I had always done as since I was probably like 13 or 14, which is I literally went to a Victoria's Secret store in a mall um, down on the peninsula. And I did what I normally did, which was avoid talking to the fit, you know, the, the, the younger associates there, grabbed 20, 25 bras, tried them on super quickly. None of them really were perfect. I didn't care, bought, bought one and was like trying to get out of there as fast as possible. And when I walked out and I had that bag, I just looked at the bag and I put it into the bag I was carrying because I was so embarrassed. And for me, walking out to my car that day, I was thinking to myself, why am I spending money here, right? Like, why am I shopping for a bra in a store? Why am I buying something that doesn't really fit? Why am I embarrassed like to be shopping here? And I went home and I started doing a lot of research. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to buy a bra. There's got to be a more interesting bra brand for what I call the modern woman. And there was nothing. And that was really the white space and how the idea came about. Yeah, there really hasn't been a company that has made a big splash in the industry and has gone head to head with Victoria's Secret, you know, until Third Love really came about. But so you had this idea. And at that time, you were working at Google, clearly, you know, had a great career, well paying job. And also your co founder, who was your husband, you know, had a successful career as well. At what point did you both realize that you wanted to quit? your day job and really focus and put all your energy towards building out third love? 
Yeah, so we started working on the business plan and research at night, but we were both in jobs where we were working quite late and didn't get home until eight or nine, right? And so at some point when we really said this this feels like it could be a really big opportunity, I think it was really two questions. One, we were like, if we don't do this, will we regret it? Um, potentially. And and the answer was definitely yes. And the second was really making sure we were thinking strategically and creating a plan up front about what we were willing to give up or risk and for how long. And so we basically said, given we were in our early 30s, we did have some savings. Um, You know, we had worked for a while. And so what was the worst that could happen? We would lose some of the money we put into the initial company and we would need to find another job in six months or a year. And so once we kind of talked through that and we aligned on sort of how much money and time we were willing to potentially lose, and I think that's really, really important. I don't think you want to go into a new company with just a let's see what happens. Like I think having a bit of a timeline and a monetary amount, if you can invest your own money or are willing to, like what's your, what is that point where you can't go over it? Like for your personal situation. And so once we did that, it just felt like we had a plan and then we just set out, you know, to, to build it. Yeah. I mean, I will say even from my own experience, leaving a stable job to jumping into building out my own company, it's, always a little intimidating to leave that income source. But like you mentioned, if you can be a little thoughtful and methodical about your plan, you know, how much money you have, how much time you're willing to potentially lose, it definitely makes the big decision of starting something a little less intimidating. So it's helpful to kind of see what you guys walk through in your thought process in leaving both your jobs. So I read in another interview that you did that the first year of Third Love was emotionally difficult. You didn't have product market fit yet and you had a great bra, but no one was really buying it. And I'm sure there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening who understand and might be in a similar position. How did you really gain traction and push through those early days in such difficult times? Yeah, I wouldn't even say it was one year. I would say it was the first two years. So it was a really long time or it felt like a really long time at the moment. Yeah, so we basically had this really great bra and we knew it was great because the women who actually had it loved it and talked about it. It was the problem was just not that many women tried it. And we really sat down with our team in, you know, early, probably like early 2015 and we got everyone together. There was maybe 10 of us at the company and we sat down in a conference room and we're like, if we don't figure out how to sell this bra and get it into the hands of women, like we're all not going to be here in a year from now and third love's not going to exist. And I think that's that amount of honesty with the team and just really really focused us on on figuring out something that was dramatically different. And so what we learned and what we knew from the data was that women just didn't trust that the bra was going to be something more comfortable. And so how could we solve that? And um, this is, you know, pre-Instagram ads, like this is Facebook time. Um, And so what we said was, how about we create a program where we'll actually just send a bra to a woman for free? Um, and not make her pay for it and just let her put it on. Because what we knew is that when a woman put the bra on, she was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more comfortable than the bra I've been wearing. And so we wanted to allow her that experience with no risk. And 
So you just paid for shipping. We sent you the bra. And then if you liked it and, and you wore it, you paid money for it. And if you didn't, you sent it back. Um, and that program, we called it Try Before You Buy, um, really propelled us forward and able to get women to try us. And so that was a huge moment and a big, big unlock um, for our company. And we wouldn't be here if we hadn't done that and tried that. Like we wouldn't, Third Love wouldn't exist. Wow, what a story, because at that time, you weren't generating a lot of revenue. And a program like that is a huge risk on a company, especially if you think about if customers didn't like the bra and majority would be sending it back, that would have been a huge loss and burden on the company. But it's good to hear that, you know, it really took two years to perfect the bras, perfect your products and really get it into the hands of women. Because I think some people sometimes have expectations that their company should just be soaring in the first year. So thinking about Third Love, you guys have raised about $69 million from venture capitalists. Can you walk us through how you decided to go down the VC route? Because, you know, looking at the stats last year, only 2.8% of venture funding went to women-owned businesses. So how is your experience pitching a bra company to VCs who are predominantly men? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Look, I think taking a step back, male or female, I think that people do generally forget like fundraising is hard for everyone. I mean, yes, you hear these stories of people who raised X amount of dollars in two weeks or a month or whatever. And that's like one out of, I don't know, a million. So I just, you know, I think male or female, raising money is never easy. Now, certainly as a female with a female focused business as well, that maybe the male investor doesn't personally use, that's another level of difficulty. And then you start piling on other attributes and it gets more and more difficult. Um, so I think it was hard. You know, it wasn't like we had, you know, 50 offers and all kinds of choices. Um, but we persevered and pitched a lot and eventually found a really good partner who believed in us and the vision and building something new. And as I always say, and I, I mentor um, early stage female investors and I do some angel investing, and I always say, you know, it only takes one. So it's like, yes, you may hear 100 no's or 200 no's, but all you need is the one yes. And so you have to like flip it around to basically go into fundraising with like that view of like, I'm going to hear no a lot <laughs> and most people won't get it or won't appreciate it. But one, all you need is one and, and that's all you need to raise around. So um, yeah, it's never been easy for us, um, even as we've grown. Uh, it's gotten easier because we know what we're doing and we've done it before. But it's never easy. It's never been easy for, for, for me personally to raise money. Yeah, that's definitely a constant theme we hear with women on our podcast. But I think really the key is to set your expectations that it's going to be hard and that you're going to get a lot of no's. But to your point, it really only takes one yes. And, you know, it's interesting. I was reading an article that there was a certain situation where you went outside your comfort zone and you introduced yourself to a few women at a conference who ended up becoming investors. Can you kind of walk us through that specific story? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I wasn't good at in the early days that I've gotten a lot better at is networking. And I talk, I've talked about this before, but I think this idea, um, and I think it is more of a male 
female thing, not to stereotype, but I just generally think men are better at having conversations or asking for favors and not feeling bad about it. And women, myself included, you know, I have this feeling where if you're not my friend or I haven't known you that well, it doesn't feel authentic to ask for something. And that that isn't the right way to approach most things in business because business is about networking and introducing yourself and asking, you know, for things. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I learned over the past eight years really to to introduce myself, you know, to walk into a room where I don't know anyone and and have a conversation to pitch the business and to ask people for advice or just candidly like to invest and if they're interested because the worst that can happen is somebody is like not interested but many times people will say yes and if you haven't asked you'll never know. And so again, flipping that mentality to say you know, you can approach somebody and engage. And even if it's not a fit today, it could be a fit in a year or two, or they may come back to you. And that's also happened many times to us at Third Love, that people have come back in later to participate in things. So what I love about that is, you know, you weren't necessarily good in the early days of putting yourself out there and asking for things. But as time went on, you really put yourself in that situation where I'm sure it got easier and easier. And it's great to see that from, you know, that specific story, investors did come around. And, you know, whether it was a year from now or immediately, it was still a success. And you never know where one ask can take you. And that also reminds me of another story where I think, you know, you really put yourself out there. And I believe it was your first like big press you did on TV. Can you share more about that? The, the, the interesting thing about being on broadcast, and this was a live TV interview, I, I literally blacked out. Like I don't even remember it. I was so nervous. My stomach was churning. I thought I was going to throw up. And I literally don't even remember what I said. And then I watched it back and I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Um, but like everything in life, it's all about practice. So whether that is about networking, is it about media? Um, it's interesting today because people say, oh, you're so natural and authentic and you do so well on camera and this and that. I'm like, if you, if I showed you some, if I could dig up some of the stuff that I did in the early days, it was not so good. And, and again, I'm not, it's not like, you know, my calling per se, but like anything in life, you can learn as you go and improve. And then the more you do it, the more confident you get. And then that also helps. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really just about giving yourself some time, take the pressure off and just know like the more you do it, the better you'll get. Absolutely. And I think really just putting yourself in those difficult situations where you can practice and put yourself out there, I think is so key because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck and don't really allow themselves to try because they're scared of failing or, you know, looking poorly in front of people. But that's the only way you can really learn is just through practicing. So shifting back to third love, do you have a particular story or a moment in the company where you had to push through a difficult time or make a really big life-changing decision that changed the trajectory of your company? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the in the early days of the company, we were manufacturing in Mexico and we were producing on demand. And that was part of our initial business model. Most people don't even know that. And basically what happened is we realized like that wasn't working. And so we had this choice we had to make, which was like lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in raw material that we had imported to Mexico, mostly from Asia, and like walk away and do something else. 
or try to make that work. And I think, you know, one of the lessons we learned with that was we should have cut that tie sooner. And we didn't because we were early stage and we kept putting more time and money in. And then at some point it was like, no, we need to do this now or it's just not going to work. And those are the moments that make or break entrepreneurs. And so again, just a piece of advice is that the, the quicker you can make decisions, generally speaking, you're, you're saving time and you're saving money. So I think a lot of us get caught in this cycle of like, oh, I'll do it next week or I'll make that decision in a month or I'll have that tough conversation with my, you know, this person who's reporting into me later. And you, 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 we all want to kick the can of like hard decisions and hard moments because it's not fun. And <laughs> when push comes to shove, you need to look at yourself and be like, I'm the person running the company. I'm the, I'm, I'm the person in charge of making the hard decisions. That's why I am in this role and like step up to the plate and like do it and do it quicker than you think you need to. And you'll never regret that. And a lot of my regrets, and I'm answering a totally different question than you asked, but I could go back and in many points in time, either related to people or decisions, wish I would have done things faster and with more um, just um, with a faster decision making. And now today, I think I do it really well. I think if you ask my team today, they would be like, oh, Heidi's like definitive, makes a decision right away. We'll call it. But that's, again, been learned and it took a while. And it's just really, really important. (laughs) It is. And I think it's incredibly important, you know, even if you're not running a company, it applies to so many different aspects of everybody's life. You know, would you say just really putting yourself in those situations and having those tough conversations made it more habitual and easier for you? Yeah. You know, what you realize is that if you actually take the time to reflect back on moments and tough moments, you always realize after you make those decisions, like think back to the last either tough decision or moment or encounter that you had as in work, right? Or in your personal life, it actually doesn't matter. And you think about all the turmoil and anxiety and stress that leads up to making the decision. And you feel like you're not 100% sure because you never are, because nothing is ever you know, fully black and white, right? So you, you, you know, you're making decision in the face of some amount of uncertainty or knowing. Then you think about what you feel like after you've had that conversation or made the decision and you've, you've set yourself on a new path or you've been crystal clear and communicated something that was really hard. You feel so much better. The anxiety is gone. Your anxiety level is lower. You create a path forward. There's a plan. It's different. And you feel a sense of relief and you feel a sense of um, continued momentum and um, energy usually around whatever that decision was. And it feels really good. And so if you think about that in your head, you're like, wow, if I would have done that two months ago or a month ago, I would have been so much further along in, in just how I was feeling and doing. And I think that we forget that. So as much as you can take those moments as lessons of learning and think through when you should have actioned it, then when you're presented those same difficult moments going forward, you hopefully can train yourself to do it earlier. What I really love about your story is the level of self-awareness you have and how much you've grown as a leader. You know, for example, being able to make those difficult decisions quicker or having those incredibly tough conversations for things that you never necessarily wanted to to do or have. You know, I'm curious, do you have a team of mentors that have really helped 
coach you and really grow as a leader within your company? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I have an official mentor. I think I have a lot of different mentors at, for different things at different moments. Um, in particular, I did join YPO though, which has been a really good experience um, because your kind of network and your forum really holds you accountable and is also a neutral group that doesn't, they're there to support you. And I think that's what's really important. When you think about who you want in your advisor or mentor network, it's someone, one who's going to be totally honest and candid with their feedback and is not going to be afraid to call you on something. Like you really need that because as a, as a founder, like people won't really maybe tell you what they think all the time. And you need some people who aren't going to be afraid to do that. So you need to seek that out and be, tell them that's what you want. So they feel comfortable. I think that's really important. Um, and so, and then I think it's really about a robust kind of diverse network of mentors or advisors who have different experiences, come from different places, have different viewpoints, um, in particular than your own, so that you can get and learn something different when you're talking to them. So yeah, I think that wide variety has been helpful of like, who am I going to call now for this thing and have that those people in mind? Absolutely. And I think the main thing to really point out is having people, like you said, who are willing to be honest with you. And I think the more diverse of a background that they have, I think the more value you can get within your company, you know, and they're bringing different perspectives on how to approach certain situations. I mean, I've found, you know, within my own life, certain mentors who you know, aren't necessarily in my industry give just such helpful advice and make you kind of think outside the box. So it's great to kind of hear the way you think through your own mentorship and, you know, what's really helped you build this business, you know, over the past seven years. So talking about the company, I'm curious, you know, what is it like to work with your husband, who's also the co-founder and co-CEO of the company? Yeah, I mean, I think for, so if you think about the decisions you make in the early days of a company, besides the company that you decide to start, whatever it is, I mean, the most important thing is like, who who's your co-founder if you have one and who are your initial hires? Um, and the most important thing when you pick a co-founder is that you have trust. Uh, you have trust and you have really good communication. Because if you have those things, then you can usually work out anything else that happens. And so obviously, um, and these days I feel like more and more people are doing um, companies with their spouses. Uh, and I think it's because they know who they are. They know who they're getting into business with because they've they spent time and married the person. So you know you know how they communicate. You know what they're good at, what they're not as good at, how they, you know, all those nuances. And so that has made it, easier because you can be really honest. And so a lot of companies fail because of the co-founding relationship that doesn't work or they can't get it together. And so um, whether you're, it doesn't matter if it's your husband or not, or your partner or not, but you should be picking a co-founder that you know really well, that you know how to communicate with, Um, and that might be someone you went to school with, that might be someone you worked with in the past, you know, but it should be someone who you know well, um, ideally. For sure. I think finding the right co-founder or really entering in to a new partnership, it's so important to make sure that your values are all aligned and that you really trust the person. It's essentially like a marriage. So I can see how it's worked out for you and your husband. So 
Thinking about third love, you know, you started the company a little bit later in your life and you had kids also later in your life, relatively speaking. You know, what was your experience launching the company and giving birth to your first kid all at the same time? Yeah. One of my mentors, actually, before I got pregnant, I remember I called her and I was just like, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. Like I still haven't had a kid, you know, I'm like in the midst of trying to like raise money and start this company. Like, am I freaking crazy? Like, what am I doing? And she was like, there will never be a good time to have kids. Like there's like, you know what I mean? Like if you wait to have kids, like you'll be, you know, you'll never, you know, there's just not, it's not like some, you wake up one day and you're like, stars are aligned. Today's the day, you know? Um, and so that was a really good conversation because, um, she just set me straight on that one. And, um, and so the way I would equate it is that like, early stage startup life is crazy and early stage kid life, you know, baby breastfeeding, if you are or not, and all of that pregnancy, et cetera, is crazy. So maybe it was, you know, the right decision to do it all at one time because it just made my life even more crazy. But I would just go back to, you should never be sacrificing one thing for the other. Like, so, you know, that's my motto, right? Like, I, I think you just got to, sometimes life's going to be crazy, um, but you just commit to the craziness and like, let yourself be in it and just know that it it, it ebbs and flows. Absolutely. And, you know, what did your crazy life look like at the time? I know you took two weeks off of maternity leave before you came back to running the company, but how did you design your life and what did it really look like at the time? I mean, I was, I went back to work after two weeks with my first, I mean, I think we were 10 or 12 people. Like I had a CSAC. I mean, it was all kinds of crazy. I mean, I was pumping. I think I was, I had her in the office here and there to breastfeed. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, and then with my second, we were bigger, more established. And I, it was a, it was a little bit of a less stressful, I think, time. And I enjoyed it more the second time having a child. Just, I think it's easier. You feel less stress when you've done it one time. You're like, I think I, I think I can do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just women are, women are badasses, you know? I mean, it's true. Like, I think, you know, women are just good at juggling. And again, it's a stereotype, but it's a stereotype because it's true. Yes, I love that. And you know, it's so funny. I get a lot of questions about this podcast where people ask me, you know, what are like the top three themes that you hear from all the interviews that you've done? And surprisingly enough, the number one or one of the key themes that I've heard in all my interviews is just shocking to see the amount of women who have launched companies alongside having their first kid. It's definitely not uncommon. And, you know, like you said, the ability that women have to make things work and juggle everything, especially when they're mothers, is incredible. So I just love showcasing and talking about stories like that because I think it's incredibly empowering. And, you know, a lot of women in my network sometimes hesitate, you know, having a kid or and starting a company at the same time or switching career. So it's good to see that it's possible. And although it might be tough, it's definitely, you know, something that any woman can really do. So as someone who mentors and invests in many women-owned early stage businesses, what would you say are some of the key advice and lessons that you share with them that you can share with our listeners today? I think at a high level, as it relates to thinking through like the early days and how you pitch your business, uh, the, one of the biggest things I see is that women aren't as able to structure like the big idea. 
um, or pitch it as as well. Um, again, I'm stereotyping, um, but I think men just again, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like they just have a better, easier time speaking about where they're going with authenticity. And so, what I always coach female founders on is like you got to get out of your own head. Like, you know, the 50 things you need to do and you have all these issues, right? Every business has issues and you need to like push that aside and think about if you crush it and you're as successful as you want to be, what does your business look like in 10 years? Like, who are you? What is that business? What are you doing? What does it look like? And when you go into a meeting and are pitching your business, that is what needs to be in your head is that who you will be in five or 10 years. And it's not fake and it's not not authentic to do that because that's what investors want to know. They want to be able to say, like, if this company, Third Love, is successful, what does that mean? And in the early days of Third Love, we used to say there might be a world where Victoria's Secret doesn't exist. And people thought we were crazy. But like, in essence, that's kind of played out over the past eight years, right? So this narrative that we created, which was like this lofty goal that seemed did seem crazy at the time, has in some ways come true. And so you got to get in that space. And that's what you need to outwardly communicate when you're pitching an early stage business. Um, and I think the second piece of advice is really just focus on one thing. We did this all the time in the early days. And I see early stage founders doing this, they're like, haven't even launched their first product and they're already talking about their next product and product expansion and this and that. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, until you've sold, I'm making it up, 10 million of your one thing, don't talk about, don't, you're not, you don't need to do, just focus. So I think we all like to get ahead of ourselves. So one of them, I'm like, one point is think big. And then the other point is actually think really narrow because really to execute well, less is more. And so focus on one thing and do that one thing really, really well for a while and then think about other things. For sure. And I think some people want to launch so many different products to see what sticks. But if you don't put that love and attention to one product or one thing, I think it definitely takes away from the potential success that you can have. And, you know, looking at Third Love and your experience, it really took two years to perfect the product and really prove the concept. So I think that's really powerful advice. So switching gears a little bit, what would you say that you're most proud of that a lot of people may not know? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is just the the people that we've developed internally. Like I, I think, I, you know, when I take a step back and I'm like, what am I most proud of? I mean, twofold. One is that we have created this product and brand that so many women um, have found confidence or comfort in, in a way that they had never experienced perhaps in 50 years or 70 years, right? I had a customer write in who was 80 years old and was like, I finally have a bra that fit, right? And so having those moments where you're like, wow, we're, we are really making a difference in women's lives is one. And the other is I look at our team and some of the teammates who have been here a while and just seeing, as I have, you know, developed and, and grown as a leader, seeing others do that as well and take on more and more is what it's really all about, right? Um, so I think those two things, like the internal and the external are probably what I'm most proud of. That's so beautiful to hear. You know, I'd be curious to learn more about how you define success and where you see third love going in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we've kind of switched from the startup mode of 
grow, grow, grow. It's super crazy. And not to say we're not growing or it's not super crazy, but becoming a more mature business and just being a little more thoughtful about some of the decisions we're making, more strategic. Um, that's kind of where we're at today. And that's a different skill set. That's a different focus. And it's really invigorated me because, again, I've, I've constantly been shifting and learning. So for us today, it's more about you know, where are we going? Like if we decide to go public, what does that look like? Right. And being a more mature, slightly more mature company um, and sort and how we operate and make decisions. Yeah. And you don't really always see founders who started the company really stay with the company as they're growing and maturing into a larger business, because sometimes those skill sets that really were needed to take this business and launch it and get it off the ground is fairly different than, you know, managing a larger organization and being the CEO of that. So I think it's a huge testament to you who is really growing with the growth of the company as well. Yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting insight. And one of the things that um, I've read, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's always stuck with me, is that if you think about the life of a founder, it's like, you know, most founders haven't, they're obviously their second and third time founders. And they're like, I got it, like done this before, understand what I'm getting into. Most people are first time founders. So you're like growing and learning, right? And your company's growing and learning. And really in essence, as the founder, you always want to just be like slightly ahead of the company so that you're there. It's not, it's not crossing, you know, your development. So it's like, it's always like, it's like that. And so that's the excitement and also the stress that comes from it. But as long as you're growing and scaling as your company is, like you're in a good position. Always easier said than done. But I always think about that. It's like, it's never ending. You know, it's, it's a constant journey. Totally. And to your point, it's not easy because you're consistently stretching yourself and growing and taking yourself to the next level. But I'm sure there's nothing more rewarding than that, especially when you're working in a business that you're truly passionate about. Well, I'd love to close with one question that we love to ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money and everybody has their own definition of wealth. What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a great question. And one I actually never got asked before. I mean, of course, there's certain um, monetary um, things that we all need to be comfortable and happy and stable. So that's like, you know, when you first say wealth, you obviously initially think of money. And and to say that money doesn't matter is kind of not true. So like that, to me, it feels completely inauthentic. That being said, you know, as everyone always says, money, money, I don't think makes you happy. And so wealth is really about impact, right? And it's kind of what goes back to what I said, which is like, for me, it's like wealth is about making an impact, changing the world, doing something that I feel good about, and continuing to learn. And those things are something that I do find in my almost daily life at Third Love. And so I feel really a, a tremendous amount of gratitude that I'm in this position, in this role, and and have been able to create something of value. So obviously, it's been a lot of hard work. Um, but I feel a lot of gratitude. And I think that's that's also important. It's incredible to see the wealth that you've created for yourself, your team and investors, but also doing it as a mission-driven company and really empowering women to feel confident and amazing in their body. So 
it's incredible to see what you're building and also inspiring that, you know, your mission of really going head to head with Victoria's Secret when you were just starting, you know, that's, that's happening seven years later. So I wish you all the success and I had so much fun chatting with you today, Heidi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun to chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.